0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your heart. We thank you, Father, that you have already um, been speaking to us. And I just pray for every heart here that we would um, have open hearts to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church today. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Um, and more importantly, would you plant the word in us that it would bear fruit? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the other weekend, I was invited to my sister-in-law's kitchen tea. She's getting married next weekend. And out of all the sister-in-laws, I was the only one there. And suddenly, I felt very uncomfortable. I was in an unfamiliar place, surrounded by people I didn't know. And so I searched out who I knew, and I found my mother-in-law. So I beelined for her, and I spent the afternoon with her chatting away. And it was interesting for me to observe that there was all these groups of people that knew each other, all in their little comfort zones, yet not one of them came out of their comfort zone to come and chat to me. And I kind of was a little bit tired, so I didn't feel like also going out of my comfort zone to chat to them. And so we just remained in our little comforts. Now, if Dave had been there, and usually he's the person that breaks away from me, but if Dave had been there, he had been like a pig in mud. He thinks it's wonderful if the room is full of people he doesn't know. He thinks it's wonderful of all these potential people that he can talk to and friends that he can make. And um, he just thinks nothing more than going to, to parties. But for me, it is so uncomfortable. And I think for a lot of us, we all have our comfort zones, don't we? We have our comfort food. You know, when we're feeling a little bit sad, a little bit down, we go to our comfort food. We have our comfy clothes. We get home from work and we, we, we get into our comfortable clothes, our muck around clothes. We have our comfortable groups of friends. We have our jobs and our roles and we have our routines. Your comfort zone is made up of the people, the places and the things, the habits that are familiar to you. Everyone has a comfort zone. It's the way in which we feel at ease and they're nice to have. But if they become the places that we settle in and hide in, we will never grow. And we'll never step into everything the Lord has for us. And more tragically, neither does the kingdom grow. If we just remain in these little circles that we have created for ourselves Where we feel comfortable See growth happens Outside of our comfort zone And so today I want to speak about Kingdom over comfort Kingdom over comfort Who can remember what I spoke on last time Who was taking notes Flourishing Flourishing. (laughs) Dave notes because I make him read my sermons over and over again Making sure they're all good Designed to flourish, well done. Vanessa takes notes. (laughs) So last time I spoke about flourishing versus languishing. And one of the things that actually keeps us from flourishing is our comfort zones. As I said before, growth happens outside of that. And that is often the realm of what we call faith. And I fear a lot of the church today has become comfortable Particularly in the West, where we don't, we don't desperately need the Lord because we have everything at hand. And in churches, even places, if we've been there a long time, we can become comfortable. We have our seats. We have our places. How dare you move me out of my seat? Do I even dare say we even have our coffees in worship? We have our groups. We have our little cliques. We have our styles. And now it's nice to be comfortable at times. We want this church to be a a comforting place. We want it to be a place where we feel at home. We obviously want people to feel like they belong. Yet the danger, if we remain too comfortable, is that we become complacent. And kind of that is what I want to speak about today is overcoming complacency in our hearts and in our, in our places, in our churches. Amos the prophet had something to say about this to the people of God. And in chapter 6, verse 1, he says to God's people, "'Woe to you who are complacent in Zion!' And to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria. Now the word, word complacent means at ease. It means to be comfortable. It means to be secure. It means to be settled. And there's kind of like an arrogance there. You can't, your defenses are down because you're kind of like laid back. You've arrived... And so you're not worrying about, you're not thinking about danger, you're just comfortable. And this passage is like a slap in the face rebuke to those who were at ease in Zion and to those who felt secure on Mount Samaria. And they were representing the north and the south kingdom. So Zion was um, referring to Jerusalem, the capital of the southern kingdom, which was Judah. And Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom. Of Israel and so Amos is really repra- uh, addressing all of God's people both to the north and to the south and to the people there they were at ease thinking that they were safe from all danger that nothing could harm them and they were giving more thought to their comfort and their eases rather than the welfare of those around them. In a nutshell God's people had become complacent. They had become insular. Now this can seem a little harsh, but God's heart and his love often comes through his rebukes. The Bible says a father rebukes those he loves. And while we don't live under the Old Testament in the old Covenant anymore, the Old Testament actually reveals God's heart to his people still today. See, God is the God of all comfort, but he never intended us to live comfortable lives with our security resting in ourselves and the things that we build around us. The life of a Christian is to be built on peace, love, hope, joy, but it's not one of being comfortable Author Brett McCracken, he is also the editor of the Gospel Coalition, and he says it's the comforting gospel of Jesus Christ that leads us to live uncomfortable lives for him. It's the comfortable gospel or the comforting gospel of Jesus Christ that leads us to live uncomfortable lives for him. Yet it's in the uncomfortable That we grow. It's in the uncomfortable that we flourish, and God's kingdom also does. Jesus constantly challenged his people to leave behind what was comfortable in the pursuit of following him, to deny themselves, to pick up their cross and to follow him. C.S. Lewis, the one that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, He he says, I didn't go to religion, or you could replace it with church or Jesus, to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of pork could do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. Did you like that? (laughs) Today, I want to explore three areas I believe the Lord's challenging us in where we may have grown complacent in order that we may grow and God's kingdom may grow and that we might see all that God has for us here at Hillside. So the first thing, now kids, have you got your sermon notes ready? You got your crayons? Adults, have you got your pens or your crayons ready? Got your crayon? It's good, Janice. Okay, number one, first point. Children, relationship with Jesus. We can become complacent in our relationship with Jesus. The Apostle Paul in the Bible said that he learnt the secret of contentment, of having, whether he had much, whether he had little, he learnt how to be content. But contentment is not the same as complacency. So Paul had learnt contentment, but he was not complacent. His goal in life was always to know Christ more and more and therefore allow him to change him, that he might never remain the same, but constantly becoming more and more like Jesus. He was never content to remain the same. He wanted to grow. He wanted to know more and more. In Philippians 3 verse 7, it shares a bit of his heart. And it says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. See, everything around Paul was considered garbage in comparison to the pursuit of knowing Jesus, of growing in his knowledge of him. When we are first saved and we first choose to follow Jesus, we are so appreciative of everything he has done. We are are so appreciative of what he has saved us from, of his goodness. We just want to know him. We want to know about him. We want to know the word of God. But the longer we are a Christian, one of the dangers that we face is that we can take it for granted and become complacent in our pursuit of him. And unless we are an intentional people, we will... Drift towards complacency. So the natural drift, if we do nothing, is towards complacency. We have to be intentional of our knowledge of Him. We, in our complacency, we can stop being thankful and we can dwell on the negative. We can stop being hungry and we're like, oh yeah, same same. I've heard this sermon before. I've heard this before. Same song again. We did this three weeks in a row. We become complacent, but we should be the the most hungriest people. I can't wait to see what the Father has for me today. I can't wait to see who I can bless today. We need to be hungry, but it's not a striving in our own selves. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. And as we spend time with the Father, he always has fresh manna for us. It's not the same, same. It's fresh every day. What does he have for me in the word today? What does he have for me in my quiet time today? Like, let's be hungry for him. It's so easy for us in this world to become complacent. And that's why we need to be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, I put my car in for a car service. It was... um, having, it been having issues for a while, but it was losing power. And I found going up Welshpool Road or Calamunda Road really painful. It was just constantly losing power. I had to keep going from fourth to third to second to try and get up the hill. And even driving along, it just kept shuddering. And it was like, it was, there was no power. And the first time someone looked at it, they're like, oh, you just need more air in your tyres. And I was like, well, yeah, okay, that's probably good to do, but I'm pretty sure that's not the problem. And I heard this word the night before about um, someone had a vision of, of the people uh, being the same. And uh, he had a vision of people taking their car in for a car service and the issue was the spark plugs. And the spark plugs were no longer working. They were old, they were corroded, and the, it was losing power and the engine wasn't firing anymore. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Anyway, the next day, put my car in for a service and lo and behold, my spark plugs all completely shot. My ignition coil, so they're the things that connect when you spark plug to your engine and makes your engine fire or something like that, completely gone, corroded, wires corroded. And therefore, it was losing power. And my car, which was designed to operate at four cylinders, was now operating at three cylinders. It wasn't making it anymore up the hills. And, you know, spiritually, we can we can lose our spark plugs. Have you had your spark pl- plugs changed recently? Have you gone for a spiritual tune-up recently? We can be losing power. It's hard going. Trials are getting us down. We're, we're just it's not, doesn't feel the same. And that's kind of where I was also spiritually. I was like, Lord, this is hard. And I felt it's a real word for me. Have you had your spark plugs changed lately? And I feel like it's a word for us. Have we had our spark plugs changed recently? Have we actually said, Holy Spirit, would you anoint me afresh? Would you fill me afresh? Lord, I need your power. I need your strength. We're not designed to do it in our own power. But in his power, are we spiritually tuned? When we're spiritually tuned, we become uncomfortable in the world. This is a good test. Do I become uncomfortable when I watch something and and it's not aligned with values of the Lord? Do I become uncomfortable in my sin? Do I become uncomfortable in this world? Because we're actually not called to be, um, we're called to be strangers of this, of this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We should be uncomfortable in this world because we're not designed for this world. We're designed for a better, a better place. Am I hungry to know God more? If I'm not, maybe I need a spiritual tune-up. The second thing, kids, are you taking notes? First point, relationship with Jesus. Second point, we can come but complacent in God's calling for us. In Hebrews 11, there's a list of the heroes of faith, people who lived by faith and stepped out of their comfort zone. And they were often tempted to live in, or we are often tempted to live in what we know, what we feel safe in, and what we can control But the currency of faith is what we don't know, what we can't see and what we can't control. And so one of those Hebrews of faith that stepped out of his comfort zone was Abraham. But I find his journey of getting there quite interesting. And I just want to kind of take you on a little journey of his journey to show you some of the challenges that he faced. So he lived in a place called Ur, U-R. And that was a rich and fertile land, and he was with his family. And in Ur, God called him to leave behind everything and go to Canaan, the land of promise. And we read of the account in Acts 7. There's a little summary for us. So I want to read from verses 2 and 4. Acts chapter 7. Kids, if you need a verse, Acts 7 verse 2 to 4. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in metasaphomia. I can't say that word. Yes, thank you. Which is the land of Ur. I can say Ur. Before he lived in Haran, leave your country and your people So when he was in Ur, God said, leave your country and your people and go to the land I'll show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. Now, was that the land that God showed him to go to? Was it Haran? No, what was it? Canaan. So let's backtrack to Genesis 11.31 now, where they're in Ur. And Abraham's dad, Terah, took his son, Abraham, his grandson, Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarah, and the wife of his son, Abraham. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. So they were destined to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and he died in Haran. Now, I don't know if you're seeing this. But the word settled caught my attention. That's strange. He was called to go to Canaan. So why did he settle in Haran? They had already traveled 600 miles to Haran, which is about 965 kilometers. That's a long way. And they had a remaining about 400 miles to go, which is about 644 kilometers. Abraham in Ur was called to leave his family, but he didn't. He brought his family with him, his dad and his nephew. And when they got to Haran, they stopped. Now, there might have been a variety of reasons, and the Bible doesn't say why they stopped. It could be that Terah was sick, he was getting old. But there is an interesting verse in Joshua, which gives us a little bit of insight. So Joshua 24 verse 2 says that long ago, your ancestors, including Tara, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, which is actually Haran, and worshipped other gods. So he got stuck there worshipping other gods. And it wasn't until his father died, that Abraham finally left and and went to Canaan. Now, I didn't know that. I don't know if you knew that. And so in Hebrews 11, verse 8, the Bible gives a summary of that, that by faith, Abraham was called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance. And he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. And so he did finally obey. He did obey and he did go, even though he didn't know where he was going. And if you read further in the story of Acts 7, you discover that it actually wasn't smooth sailing. It wasn't comfortable. It says, for 400 years, they had no place to settle. And the enemy was at them. They were mistreated there until the Lord finally gave them this land. Following the Lord requires faith. And at times we can be tempted to settle with what is comfortable when we know God has called us to go further. We know God has called us to go here, but we get comfortable and we stop. What kept them going in the end? What kept them going was an eternal perspective. Hebrews 11 verse 14 gives us a hint of how they kept going in faith. It says, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And one of the keys of not settling and not becoming stuck in our comfortable places is that we have an eternal perspective. we have a heavenly hope. We actually know this is not our place and a lot of the people in Hebrews, the heroes of faith, they actually died without seeing the, fu- the fulfilled promises but they died in faith because they and they were because they actually weren't just seeing it for themselves only they had a generational perspective. They were actually preparing the way for other generations to come. And it says that Abraham it wasn't about himself, it was actually about the generations after him to have a place that God had promised to him and his descendants. My question today is Are you living it safe? Are you living in your comfortable zones and spaces? have you settled when God has actually called you for more? Now I get in the Lord. there are seasons and, there's, and we, I'm not talking about just being reckless, but the life of Christianity is a life of faith. We were never designed to be in this mediocre life. We're actually called to live by faith, not by sight. And when we live in this realm of safe and what is known, we actually miss the adventures that God has for us in the faith zone. And it is risk. Faith, as you've heard before, equals risk. There is a risk of stepping out. But when we actually step out in obedience to the Lord, we know that he is with us. It's not blind faith. It's not just doing anything I want just for the sake of not being comfortable. It's actually learning to listen to the Holy Spirit And it might not be as drastic as Abraham. It may simply be, you know what? Go talk to that person that you don't know on the other side of the church. or At the picnic, go and and talk to someone you don't know. Welcome them. It may be, you know what? Go and invite your neighbours over for a cuppa. Get to know them. So when we're about the kingdom, we're not called to live comfortable lives we're actually called to step out of our comfort zone that others might know him. Which is what, I, what leads me to my last point. We can become complacent in our life as a witness. So kids, next point, life of witness. Now witness I mean by sharing our faith. When Jesus called the disciples to come and follow him, He essentially called them out of their comfort zones. These disciples left their jobs as fishermen. They left their families and they left their comforts, their sources of income, to follow Jesus and instead become fishers of people. In other words, they were called to share the good news about Jesus. And this is a call to all Christians today not just the evangelists. So I think sometimes we we can cop out. We're like, oh, we'll leave it to the evangelists. I'm not anointed for that. That's the evangelist's job. But actually, I don't read that in the Bible. I read that for the Holy Spirit has come upon us that we would be filled with power so that we would be his witnesses. So we're all called to be his witnesses, but we need his Holy Spirit power to do that. I really believe in this season that we have at the moment of there's so much prayer going on, that there is an open heaven or an open door to speak to people about Jesus. I believe prayer is really making a way spiritually for people to hear. But it means that we actually still need to step out of our comfort zones. Like the city of Zion in Amos 6 that God rebuked, They had become complacent within their city walls that they didn't seem fazed by anyone outside of it. But God is calling us today to put kingdom over comfort. Pastor Stacey was telling me this story recently about how she was on this chat online and she was just following along these mums that were different, were chatting away and some were Christian, some weren't. And it got on to about Christians sharing their faith and about hell and how people shouldn't and how they shouldn't impose on other people. And a Christian mum piped up and said, well, maybe consider it this way. If you're living next door to someone and you see that their house is about to burn down, would you not do everything in your power to warn them and let them know so that they might be safe? And she said, that is kind of the similar way that Christians feel. Like, if we truly believe this is good news, if we truly believe that this is the power to save, then wouldn't we do everything in our power to let people know? And the other mum said, yeah, that's actually a fair point. But if that's the case, the Christians aren't doing a very good job then. And that was on an online chat of real people. Now, that's not to put condemnation on us. But that's to encourage us. Church, if we truly believe that this is the good news, that has the power to save and bring life and hope and joy, would we not share it? I was recently reading the, um, this, a book called Walk Across the Room by Bill Hybels. And he told a story about how a Muslim came to Christ. This guy was at a party standing, um, the Muslim was at a party standing alone when a Christ follower from the other side of the room, room broke away from his little clique of friends and he walked across the room and he introduced himself and they got chatting and they became friends and over the course of time, after many conversations and speaking about Jesus, the Muslim felt compelled to pray to God and gave his life to Christ. This is a true story and it happened because a follower of Christ was willing to walk 10 steps across the room to make friends with someone he didn't know. He moved away from the comfort zone of his little circle of friends and he started in the direction of the unknown Not to jam the gospel down his throat, to actually build a bridge to make friendship. And out of that friendship came opportunity to speak of the love and the hope of Jesus. Recently, I was in church and I was challenged by Pastor Wayne's message about being a light, not just in here, but out there. And after church, I went off to a kid's party and I was chatting to one of my friends And the conversation got on to um, about church. And I said, oh, you guys should come one time. And I didn't really expect much of her. And much to my surprise, my friend said, yeah, I'd actually like to come. My kids, She said, I don't really like church that much, but my kids love it, so I'll just come. Anyway, she came, and, and I think she liked it. And I said to her afterwards, I said, what made you come? And she said, you know, Kyle, we've been friends for a long time. And you have never brought this up. You never asked me to church. And this time you asked me, so I thought I'd come. And, you know, they've been coming on and off ever since, and I have permission to share that. I said, oh, can I share this story? She said, if that's going to help, go for it. But how awesome is that? Like, what impacted me is you've never asked me. So why would I come? Something is shifting. I really believe that. I was even at the doctor's the other day and my doctor started asking me about church and asking me where I go and what what time and where it is. And I said, oh, would you like to come? She said, yeah, I would. And I was like, great. Now, she's not here yet, but it's seeds, It seeds. And I think sometimes we're scared of sharing because we feel responsible for the answer. But actually we're just called to Share seeds of love, seeds of the gospel, um, water them. But God is the one that makes them grow. And in our last few minutes, I just want to share a video of a man in Sydney many years ago, maybe 50 years now, who, who did exactly that. He stepped out of his comfort zone and he just began to sow seeds, sow seeds, He didn't think anything was making a difference. He just kept faithfully for 40 years sowing seeds. But I want you to listen to the impact of what happened when he sowed seeds. So if we can have the lights off, please, and the screens on.
1: A number of years ago, in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London... The Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up at the back, raised his hand, he said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch, he said, you've got three minutes. And this man proceeded, he said, i just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came from Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street, you know where George Street is in Sydney. And he said, a strange little white-haired man stepped out of a shop doorway put a pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by those words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously and all the way on British Airlines, back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ. That Baptist pastor flew to Adelaide in Australia the next week and 10 days later, a woman came to him for counseling and he wanted to establish where she stood with Christ and she said, I used to live in Sydney, and just a couple of months back I was visiting friends in Sydney, doing some last minute shopping down George Street, and a strange little white haired man, elderly man, stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a pamphlet and said, Excuse me ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to Adelaide, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor and he led me to Christ. Now this London pastor was now very puzzled. Twice within a fortnight he'd heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in the Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth. And when his teaching series was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. And he said, mate, how would you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else. And because of my business ability, grew up to a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago. And an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a stop shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, and accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home on Qantas to, to Perth. He said, I told my pastor, thinking he would sympathize with me, and my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus, and he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at the Keswick Convention in the Lake District. And he threw in these three testimonies. At the close of his teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street giving us a tract and asking us that question. Well, eight months later, that Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney. And he said to the Baptist minister, Do you know a little man, an elderly little man, who witnesses and hands out tracts on George Street? And he said, I do. His name is Mr. Genor, G-E-N-O-R. But I don't think he does it anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to this little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. And as he sat with them, this London preacher told him all these accounts over the previous three years. This little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a rating on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life. And one of my colleagues, whom I gave literal hell, was there to help me. He led me to Jesus, and the change in my life was night to day in 24 hours. And I was so grateful to God. I promised God that I would share Jesus in a simple witness with at least 10 people a day. As God gave me strength, and he said, in 40 years of doing this, I've never heard of one single person coming to Jesus until today. Do you know, I would say that has to be commitment. That has to be just sheer gratitude and love for Jesus to do that, not hearing of any results. That's 146,100 people, that simple little non-charismatic Baptist man influenced somehow to Jesus. And I believe what God was showing that Baptist minister was the tip of the tip of the tip of the tip of this iceberg. Goodness knows how many more had been arrested for Christ and were doing huge jobs out in the mission field. Mr. Genor died two weeks later. And can you imagine the reward he went home to in heaven? Nobody except a little group of Baptists in southern Sydney knew about Mr. Genor, But I'll tell you his name was famous in heaven.
0: Um, There's a longer version of that video and it misses out um, a couple of the stories, one of them being that he actually shared to a um, Hindu man... And when, he, um, when the pastor flew to the Caribbean convention, he, he learnt about this Hindu man had come to Christ and had started up this mission organisation and they were sending out hundreds of people to tell people about the gospel, which is why that number of 146,000 is so big because there were other people as well. But isn't that amazing? Like, he never knew. He was just faithful to sow the seed. And I just feel like the Lord is saying, be faithful to sow the seed, um, James Goss, who we love, shared a, um, a verse with my dad this week, and it's about the parable of the sower, and it says, you know, the kingdom of God is like the man who sows the seed, and he keeps sowing and scattering the seed, and whether he sleeps or whether he's awake, the seed grows, and then in due time, he reaps the harvest, and I just, it takes the pressure off, we're just called to be Seed scatterers, seed sowers. It's God's work. It's the Holy Spirit's work to do the increase. You know, and Paul talks about, you know, devote yourself to prayer in Colossians 4. Devote yourself to prayer. And, And that is essential. We've got to be praying, which is what's happening across this nation. But then he says, but pray for me that there will be an open door that I might be able to share. And not only pray for an open door... Pray for me to have an open mouth that I may proclaim the gospel clearly and I may proclaim it boldly. And so I just want to pray for us. Lord, give us open doors. Give us courage. When I was praying, Lord, what is it that you want to do? I just felt he say that he wants to give people courage today, just to, to give them boldness today, step out of their comfort zones and actually be a witness. He wants to renew us, to put in new spark plugs, that we're so passionate for him, because unless we're hungry this way, we won't care this way. And it's always connected. But he also wants to challenge us today. Have you settled? Are you just comfortable? What is it that God is actually asking you to step out in today? So I think we can all be challenged today. I'm not going to actually ask. There is an altar call if you want prayer, if you want to give your life to Jesus and actually step out of your comfort zone today and say yes to him. See, Jesus stepped out of his comfort zone of heaven and he stepped into this world where he was not comfortable. It says that he had no place to lay his head, but he did it because he loved us and he wanted to bring us into his family. What is the Lord asking you to do today? So why don't we just pray and if you need courage today, I'm going to pray and why don't you just hold out your hands or if you just, you feel like you've become complacent and it's almost like a posture of repentance, Lord, I repent for being complacent, Lord, I, I repent where I've remained comfortable. Lord, I repent where I've actually been disobedient in my comfortability. Father, I pray today that you would pour afresh on your people. Lord, pour out your spirit. Lord, it says that you pour out your spirit to give us boldness to be witnesses for you. And I'm just asking, Holy Spirit, that you would give people your courage today. That you would fill people with faith that you ignite faith in people today to actually step out of what they've always known into the realm of the unknown, to walk by faith and not by sight. God, challenge us today. Like Amos said, woe to you are complacent. Woe to you who are secure on Mount Samaria. Lord, we don't want to be complacent. So Lord, would you change us that we might be Put the kingdom over our comfort. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.